Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today I'm chatting to Mark Dorr, MD of B2 Gold Namibia, which is in the southwest of Africa. Mark has worked in Namibia for over 25 years and has an extensive experience working with the government, both as a managing director and as a former president of Namibia Chamber of Mines. So let's get straight into this and welcome Mark, who will talk a little bit about his own journey before talking more in depth around mining in Namibia and other neighboring countries. So hi, Mark. Appreciate you agreeing to do this podcast as I I know you're a very busy man. Hi there, Rob. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. So um, I just want to start off a little bit about your background, obviously how you got into mining, probably starting from when you graduated and what you graduated in and how you um, started off your career. Yeah, okay. Well, um, <clears throat> I was born in Malawi, so I'm an African. And uh, Malawi at the time was Nyasaland, was, uh, before independence of Malawi. And um, my parents then moved across to Zambia, to the Cobb Belt, where my grandparents had been for many years. And that's uh, one of the sites of the major copper centers of the world. Um, the Cobb Belt stretches between Zambia and the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo. And my grandfather's business at the time was um, to service not only the mines, but also the business that was begoning businesses that were up and coming throughout Zambia as a country that was... Uh, really becoming quite an economic powerhouse in Africa at the time. Unfortunately, things didn't go too well there long after independence, and um, my family had to leave, and we, we gravitated to Zimbabwe and then eventually down to South Africa, where I studied extractive metallurgy, and um, eventually ended up with Anglo-American at the gold and uranium mines in the Orange Free State of South Africa as an immigrant to Saika from, from Zambia. And I finished my uh, studies through Anglo-American and ended up working there as a metallurgist in both uranium and gold as a plant metallurgist on a gold plant, FSG, Free State Hidult, and then at uh, present Brunt uranium plant as well as the present Brunt gold plant, which I believe was the first ever CIP plant in the world. Okay. Um, operating CIP plant, carbon and pulp that is for gold extraction. So right um, in the early 80s, I had... Um, the great fortune to spend a lot of time working on on CIP before it was a process that uh, was used throughout the gold industry everywhere in the world. And then uh, I left South Africa um, in my mid-20s because I was called up the army and I, as an immigrant, I wasn't prepared to go and fight for the South African army for the independence of Namibia. I traveled a bit and eventually came back to South Africa after Mandela was freed. Yeah. And um, I was no longer a draft dodger. And I was offered a job by a company called Messina Limited that had some, a couple of cop mines and some diamond operations as well. And um, at that stage, I was asked to go to Namibia. So, uh, 
set up a flotation plant for a fluor spar operation um, in Namibia, while I was also doing some work for them in the diamond mines and the copper mine up in Messina in South Africa as well. So when I came up here in 1988, I think it was May 88, I fell in love with the country. It was really very dynamic and um, full of wildlife and, and nature, which is my passion. And I became very involved with um, the building up of what eventually became one of the largest uh, first bomb mines in the world, which was a very exciting part of my career. Okay. And that took you up to what, when? Uh, late 80s, early 90s? Well, yeah, I was involved um, from 88 on and off. Eventually I went to the UK, did my master's at Birmingham University, came back to Namibia and was going to leave the company, but they asked me to return as the general manager. So that was in 94, I took over the management of this Okarusu Flurspa mine and uh, gradually rose to the position of managing director there. And as I said, we eventually built it up to become probably the second largest Flurspa producer in the world. It was taken over by a company called Solvay, S-O-L-V-A-Y. Yeah. I was then appointed latterly as the vice president for strategic raw materials for the group Solvay. And we had several industrial minerals operations, um, celestite, barite, fluorite, um, throughout Europe, North Africa, and, and in Africa. And I spent quite a lot of my time um, on their operations and helping to manage and coordinate the, the various mining operations of the group. When Alcruzzi Flespa shut down in 2014, I um, was asked to move across to Europe, either to France or to Germany, to join the group there, I decided that I would rather stay in Africa. I didn't want to move to to Europe. Yeah, I had a few opportunities that um, thankfully came my way, and one of them was to start up a brand new gold mine here with Beta Gold. So I was offered the position as managing director of Ochicotto Mine, which is Beta Gold's um, second, actually the first mine they built from scratch, the second um, large scale mining operation. And at the time, it was the biggest mining operation um, we built up and running. We now have a much larger mine in Mali called Fukola. And it was a very exciting opportunity for me to put all the staff together and um, get the mine up and running and, and consistently achieve success from day one. First full year of operations was 2015, although the plant was commissioned early in, or late in 2014. And... Uh, you know, we've got a very strong team there that has managed to bring success to bear every single year of our operations. We've exceeded our budget and we've, in terms of uh, gold production, we're well below budget in terms of cost uh, if consecutively since 2015. This is the first year of production until 2018. And um, we continue to do so. It's a very successful operation, very low cost producer, although it's only 1.4 gram a ton on average. And um, we're looking at expanding our operations here in Southern Africa. So that's what excites me about the future for Beta Gold here. Obviously, I want to move on and talk about uh, Namibia. Obviously, you've been working there for, for quite a while. How do you find working there and how does it sort of differ from other African countries that you have worked in? Well, Namibia is an absolutely wonderful country. We call it Africa light, just like the, um, the light beer. The low right, yeah, yeah. Um, it's Africa light because it's really safe. It's very easy to do business here. It's a very friendly country. Sometimes people are put off by the immigration officials at the airport that are not that friendly because everybody wants to immigrate here and you can't really blame them for not being friendly if everybody 
is trying to get their foot in the door and, and come and live here in Namibia. And, uh, you know, that belies the fact that the African people here in Namibia are extremely friendly and, and very polite. It's part of their culture. And it just makes living here an absolute pleasure. I, I think that um, this has been my home for, you said, over 25 years. I'm, yeah. I've, I've been here for 31 years. I'm off. Okay. But, uh, always, always keeping this as my base, whether I was living in the UK or in Europe with my previous company, Solvay. Yeah. I was based here. And um, this is my home. I think that there's nothing that I could criticize about this country in terms of uh, bringing kids up here and um, the quality of education in general, primary and secondary school education, as far as the university's tertiary education is concerned, you're pretty close to South Africa that still has some of the best universities in the world. It's an absolutely wonderful country. It's very first world. Um, if one comes to Vintec for the first time, the usual comment we have is, wow, I didn't realize that such modern cities exist in Africa. And it's also considered to be the cleanest city in Africa. So um, it really is a wonderful place to live. And the government has generally rolled out the red carpet to Beauty Gold and as far as its investment here is concerned. Having said that, there are always challenges. You know, nothing is always as easy as it seems. There are potential issues with um, the issuing of prospecting licenses, mining licenses that take too long. The bureaucratic systems are not as efficient as they could be. But, you know, we're working on that and uh, nowhere is perfect. So yeah. wherever you go, whether it's Canada or the UK you will come across obstacles and hurdles that you have to work your way around to eventually get your desired outcome. And yep. that's the case here. Yeah. I was just, that's going on to my next question, actually. I was asked, going to ask how receptive is the government and also obviously the people of uh, Namibia to mining? How receptive are they? The current government is extremely receptive to people coming in and um, exploring here. It doesn't, belie the fact that we do have issues with the availability of prospecting licenses. So if you come across a deposit that you want, chances are that deposit has been taken up by somebody. So we do have an issue of what we call uh, landlocking, claim sitting, and, and often it's quite difficult to get an EPL and do some serious exploration, throw a lot of money at it, because uh, you'll find that somebody's been sitting on it waiting for a company such as yours to come along and and take it over. And, and so to a certain extent, there's an issue that we have with resource rent, where, you know, people are trying to make money out of just uh, uh, claim sitting and, and preventing the real explorers from getting their hands on the deposits and actually carrying out expression, which is so vital for the future of this country, yep. because we're a primary industry dominated country. And there's nothing wrong with being a primary industry do dominated country, by the way, you know, Canada is too. And primary industry is still a very much a large chunk of their GDP, and yet they have developed the secondary and tertiary industries, the manufacturing industry. They produce aircraft and, and and all sorts of things. So, one of the things that I'm very serious about when I get asked about mining as a benefit or a resource curse to countries, especially in the developing world, is that um, one needs to understand that if the policy regime is in place to maximise the benefit of the country and the people of the country, so we reach that peak in terms of revenue to the treasury, and as far as skills and development is concerned, there's no nothing better than mining for a country like this. And um, it's up to the government to make sure that it pitches itself at the right level so that the benefit is accrued to the people and to the, to the government of the country. Because we're mining ultimately a non-renewable resource. Once that resource has been depleted, it's no longer there for the, for the country to benefit from. So we need to accept that 
taxation on profits is not is not enough. There has to be some royalty regime whereby the government and the people of the country benefit from the revenue, not only the profits of, of the company. That obviates the need for constant checking up and, and, and surveillance of uh, tax returns because in any case, the government will be getting money based on the revenue and the revenue is easy to trace. They know how much money is coming into the country in terms of sales of gold or copper or zinc, uranium, whatever it might be in this country. It's quite a strong mining country in Namibia. Yeah. As far as Namibia is concerned, we have a long way to go to make it easier for companies that are really serious about exploration to get in and get on, on EPLs, but it's not through lack of being welcome. Everybody is welcome to come in here and, and, and explore. And once you find a deposit, it's pretty easy to get it up and running. Okay. Very, a major mining country, South Africa. Still, it's um, a lot of our, of what we use here in terms of consumables, a lot of the equipment is manufactured in South Africa. It's not very far away from here. So logistics are really simple. We have a very good road network and, and to a certain extent a good rail network as well. It could be improved here in Namibia, but you know, I think transport in, in Namibia compared to most African countries is far easier. So um, I would say that it's definitely Africa for cities or Africa light and, and very easy to do business in, in Namibia. Given that there is currently an issue that the Chamber of Mines and, and myself personally, um, we are working on to ease the accessibility to the prospecting licenses and, and, and the deposits. Our current Minister Honourable Tom Wendy is very concerned about this issue and he's made it his stated objective to uh, stop all of the claims sitting and, and landlocking that's going on and to open it up to real explorers. He's said that in many speeches, the most recent of which was last week at a Debrine function, he said the same thing, that um, we, we are rolling the red carpet out to investors and we want people to come in and explore because we're desperate for new operations. How is the sort of mining skill set within and experience within country compared to other West African countries? And how do you think they can improve that? The skill set here is probably the best in Africa. Okay. We have the Namibian Institute of Mining Technology, which um, was set up in order to train artisans and uh, tradespeople. And it's a top-notch institution with a very, very highly respected uh, qualification with its boilermakers, fitters, electricians, technicians, instrument technicians, and that sort of thing. And in fact, these, uh, the people that I spoke about earlier that went up to Mali are employees here in Beta Gold Namibia. We're mainly graduates of the Namibian Institute of Mining Technology. And they went up to Mali and, and literally built the mine there. And some of them are actually operating the mine there. We have really good Namibian mining engineers and metallurgists and other engineers as well um, that are Namibian. In fact, uh, the majority of our department heads are Namibian. Um, as I mentioned to you before, we only have a very small number of non-Namibians and only one expatriate in the mine. Yeah. So um, what people are always surprised about is the quality of the workforce here and the level of skills in Namibia. It's really second to none in Africa, I believe. And obviously, there's various natural resources within country, diamonds, uranium, copper, gold, lead, tin, lithium. Obviously, I can keep mentioning them. Um, how's the government trying to attract more mine investment to the country? Well, there have been a number of investment um, seminars and conferences that we've held over the past few years. The government has been very focused on attracting investors to the country. 
And to a certain extent, it's been extremely successful. As I mentioned to you, the negative aspect of that has been the availability of prospecting licenses and mining licenses as a result of this landlocking, yep. which is an issue the current mining minister, Honorable Tom Wendu, is working on. So it has put its feelers out. Um, it was recently at the Indaba in South Africa in February last month. And for the first time in many years, the Ministry of Mines and Energy had a very big stand there. And there was a lot of interest in Namibia when Namibia spoke at any of the functions. I think the crowd was, all, all the seating was full and it was quite an active crowd. I'm very interested in coming into the country. It's definitely prospective. There are a number of deposits here that could eventually become mines. In the past, we've said that we are rich in poor resources. So we have a lot of low-grade operations, the lowest-grade uranium mines in the world, but they're there because the country is extremely easy to operate in and, and fairly cheap to operate in as a result of the availability of mining technology here. Our gold mine, as you know, is also fairly low-grade 1.4, and, and because of the low costs and um, the availability of consumables and equipment, um, we're able to keep our costs right down to be one of the lowest costs gold produced in the world, despite our low grade that we have here. So that tells you that even if you don't have the richest deposits in the world, such as the Zimbabwean greenstone belt, where you have extremely high grade gold mines, or even the, the Western greenstones in West Africa, and right the way through from Mali, Burkina Faso, Sierra Leone, places like that, mines of much lower grade are highly viable in this country. Having said that, obviously, the diamond operations here are fairly rich. The land-based diamonds are slowly but surely depleting at the cutoff grade that they have at the moment. So they're probably not going to be around for much longer unless the tax regime is changed to make it more attractive for uh, De Beers. The local name of De Beers is Namdeb, a combination of 50-50 partnership, as you know, between the government and De Beers. But the marine-based diamonds are extremely lucrative and, and profitable. That's the only undersea diamond mining operation in the world, I think, and um, and that is by far the largest revenue source of the government, the dead marine mining operations undersea in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, all the diamonds have been washed down by the Orange River and taken up by the Benguela Current. Um, so north of the Orange River, there are large deposits of uh, gemstone diamonds, 100% gem, a couple of hundred kilometers north of the Orange River, which, which is the border of South Africa. So... Highly lucrative. We've got a number of base metal mines, precious metal mines. We only have the two precious metal gold mines, obviously. But um, we're extremely diverse in terms of the different types of minerals and and, uh, metals that we're mining here in Namibia. Yeah. So concluding on that, what is the sort of future for Namibia in mining? Well, I think that the future is very bright. We have a very forward-looking government. The Ministry of Mines and Energy is in the process of revamping its systems, policies, procedures in order to be much more open for business. Yeah, I, I'm very optimistic about the ability to, for our company, to get another mine or two mines up and running in this country. Everybody wants to live here, so it's not as if you would want to be an expatriate here. And this is the reason we have one expatriate. When you come here to live, you want to stay. And, and that is a hugely attractive thing for any mining operator, especially a, a CEO of a mining company as, as I am here in, in the country. Um, you don't want your people flying in and flying out the whole time. There are a whole lot of associated costs with that. 
And also you have a lack of ownership and commitment to the country in which you operate, which is so important for our company, B2Gold. Okay. All right. I just want to slowly wrap this up and give you a last five minutes or so, ask you a quick few fire questions. Hmm. Why do you enjoy mining? Obviously, you've been in the industry for a while. Why do you still get up and uh, enjoy mining? That's, <laughs> that's a very good question. I wake up in the morning and I'm full of energy and I'm very excited about Mining, I look myself in the mirror, I get a bit of a fright at how grey I've become over the years. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, that's all the stress. Undoubtedly stress, yeah, related. But um, I love what I do. There's several reasons for it. First of all, technically, I think it's there's nothing better. You've got literally every profession under the sun on a mine, you know, whether yeah. it's some um, HR practitioners or doctors or, you know, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, uh, civil engineers. You've got metallurgists, um, you name it, and they're there. So it's not like a career in IT, for instance, where you'd have a whole bunch of IT professionals and that would be it. They'd all be a bunch of geeks, I suppose, (laughs) to to the IT professionals. But we've got um, geeks too in the mining industry. A lot of different personalities coming together. A lot of different personalities, very, very colourful, a lot of social issues that you have to manage, which I find very, very interesting. I'm a people's person. I love people and love understanding what energises them, what what gives them satisfaction at the end of the day? Because if you can find what what drives you, what really makes you excited to go to work every day in other people that work with you, then and you put them into those positions rather than trying to make them better at the things they're bad at, rather than slot them into positions that they're very good at, at the skill set that suits them, then um, you can see the most amazing amount of synergies that's automatically falling into place and um, and things really go well. And, and there's nothing more exciting than seeing an operation really ticking over at, at peak performance. Um, so technically, in terms of the metallurgy, the geology, the mining engineering behind it, that's really, really exciting. But the people aspect of, of mining is fantastic. And then thirdly, but certainly not not at all, um, the smallest factor is the ability to give back. Yeah. For me, um, giving back is um, what makes it really, really exciting. I'm spending a lot of my time these days um, as a result of having decent management on site, getting into projects. Uh, we've recently granted a very big social grant to a, a an organization that's supporting the sand people who are the last hunter-gatherer sand bushmen um, living within a conservancy area that um, hunt for 75% of their food but have been denied through various reasons um, the ability to to educate their children in a Western way. So we've been involved in that, giving them both the opportunity of continuing with their culture and understanding their beautiful hereditary knowledge that has been passed down from generation to generation, but also having the opportunity of becoming Westernized and taking on a career as, as we have. We're very involved in conservation. We've set up the Namibian Chamber of Environment here as a beta gold idea, beta gold Namibia. And that's become the one-stop shop for the entire environmental conservation sector. Conservation in this country is extremely important. And for us to, to just set up an organization like that, that then becomes so incredibly important and so instrumental in coordinating the efforts of the environmental sector towards a greater outcome and assisting the government in achieving its objectives as well at the same time. And that is a mining company. You know, sometimes I ask myself, in fact, I get asked, as well, do you actually mine gold? And sometimes I've got to actually think about that and decide <laughs> whether 
we mine gold for pastime and we, we do CSI for pastime. You know, yeah. I think it's, it's 50-50. So every aspect of, of working within the industry, I think, is um, exciting. Mm. Obviously, in life, um, one has to decide what uh, career path you follow, what um, your skill set is in terms of your particular strengths and weaknesses. But ultimately, you can make a success of whatever you do as long as you're passionate about what you're doing. Certainly. And I really believe that if you surround yourself with passionate people, you get rid of all your negative people because there's no time for that. Initially, you try to get them right. You try to um, convince them that this is really not the way to exist. It doesn't help you and doesn't help them. And eventually you find yourself surrounded by incredibly positive people that are doing great things and at the same time adding huge value to country, community, to planet as well, you know, the environment. And, uh, yeah, it uh, allows us to wake up every day and and realize that I'm proud to be a miner. Yeah. And I'm all ashamed of it. I will stand before any greenie and, and tell them that mining is good for the environment. Yeah. That's a very good answer you gave there. Who's been the most influential person on you within your sort of mining career? My previous boss, uh, Dr. Rolf Gerstenberg, he's also a metallurgical engineer um, from Germany, um, absolute mentor to me in terms of the technical aspect of metallurgy as far as uh, people management is concerned. But more importantly, the need to have fun in everything you do, to laugh and to really enjoy the people you work with every single day and um, to love your work. Hmm. So he left me when I took his job. Um, he said I could take his job and his blood pressure tablets. And exactly <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> blood pressure tablets, but he stopped taking his. Yeah. And he said that uh, it's that enjoyable that you actually don't want to stop working when you retire because it's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So he, he was most certainly the most influential person in my life. I was going to say mine is probably in his blood and, it, and it's probably in a lot of people's blood who are passionate about mining. So you probably need those tablets. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Given a spin. Is there anything else you still want to achieve? I think in terms of um, my career in mining, I'm keen to get another operation or two up and running and to do it in the same way we have done with this and, and um, previous operations that I was fortunate enough to have started from scratch. If we cannot give back to the level we are at the moment, at the same time, while we're getting these operations up and running, then I'd rather rather leave it and leave it to somebody else to do. Because um, to me, the aspect of social investment and environmental investment in the planet, never forget the planet, is not debatable. And it's something that should be included in any bankable feasibility study. If I see a project that doesn't have this in a bankable feasibility study and, and it is not viable if it's excluded, then I would not want to be involved in it. Okay. And this is especially relevant in the developing world. It's less so in the developed world, it's Australia, Canada, places like that, where there are certainly community issues there that need to be resolved, whether it's the Aboriginal First Nations people or social issues within the community close to the mine. So there's always a requirement in whatever country you operate, whatever, however far developed the country is, and there's always a social requirement to have a social license to operate in that particular area or in the country itself. But if one cannot do that in a manner that is really adding value and in a way that is not being done in order to satisfy 
the government or to you know sugarcoat uh, the operation, but a genuine manner that's actually adding tremendous value, then I would not want to be involved in that. So, okay. yeah, that's as far as my career is concerned. Certainly, um, I'm very involved in conservation issues here. I can see myself moving uh, more and more into conservation, and, and I believe that we have unique responsibility, especially living in Africa, which is the birthplace of most of our biodiversity, fauna and flora, to preserve that. It's yeah. disappearing at an enormous rate. The introduction of the Asian cultures to to Africa has resulted in a hunger for resources, but at the same time a hunger for natural resources in terms of fauna and flora. And we're seeing a wave of extinction taking place as a result of that. And, uh, and, and it's necessary for all of us to try and prevent that from happening. I think uh, we ex-Europeans have been guilty of the same thing to a lesser degree, I believe. And we've learned our lessons. Um, it doesn't help to cry over spilt milk, um, but certainly it, it does help to learn from the past and apply it to the future. And, and I would like to be involved in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you see the future of mining as an industry? I think um, mining will always be around um, as the resources get depleted. Um, the poorer grade resources will become much more viable with time. And obviously recycling of the minerals and metals that can be recycled become much more important. I think Germany is doing a fantastic job of recycling just about everything, you know, whether it's plastics or metals or cars. And we have a lot to learn from Germany as far as that's concerned. But despite the fact that a lot of Germany's metals are recycled um, back into the system, uh, there will always be a need for resources from the ground. So the natural resources will be a sector that is going to become more and more dependent upon technology. Metallurgical processing techniques and um, efficient mining techniques will become much more important in the future. And um, that just makes it more and more interesting for the professionals such as ourselves that are involved in, in this field. In the past, it was pretty easy to extract gold. You could just um, get a corduroy belt and extract the gravity gold and be quite happy with the result. These days, um, we're mining 1.4 gram a ton deposit with um, a couple of PPM residue. We've got a 99% recovery at, at our operation. And, um, and that's through the intervention of some top technology. And, and uh, yeah, it's all controlled by information and uh, that's another exciting aspect of it that, uh, you know, as I said, all the different professions are involved in mining. I think the IT profession is going to become more and more important in the future. And um, I, I see a bright future for mining. So anybody at this stage of their lives, whether they're about to go to university or um, just finishing university, um, I'd say that mining is still a very, very good occupation. That's uh, good. Going on to my next and last question. Um, what advice would you give any sort of mining professionals in the industry to sort of develop a better themselves? Mining professionals obviously need to have a fairly wide range of experience. But because the world has become so specialized, um, it doesn't help to have to dilute their experience by, you know, having experience on a lot of different metals and minerals, but more or less being a master of none of them, you know, jack of all trades, but master of none. So as a result of the general trend throughout the world towards specialization, I would say that anybody that, whether they're a metallurgist or a mining engineer or a geologist that intends to get into 
to a career in mining needs to become an absolute specialist at whatever they're doing. So whether it's a gold metallurgist or a uranium metallurgist or whatever it might be, you can't be good at everything. And you can be very bad at a lot of things. And you can be partly good at a lot of things, but you can't be an absolute specialist at everything. You yeah. have to be a specialist at, at one thing. So one of the aspects one needs to remember is that as you progress in your career, you move away from being an engineer and you move into management. And sadly, you get further and further away from your craft. And so the initial specialization within that craft that launches you into a management position, I think is very important. Choose that specialization very carefully. And then as you progress up through the ranks, if you're lucky enough to do so, you'll find that you become less and less specialized. But you can talk with a degree of knowledge and wisdom and, and strength about a particular subject because you've been there and done that before. What you need to realize is that success comes from employing a whole bunch of people that are cleverer than you, They're sitting around the table with you that know more than you do about a particular subject. And you know, if you're trying to maintain your your edge over all of your staff, then you're not managing properly. So the idea is to promote the, the knowledge base of your staff, especially your technical engineers, as much as you possibly can for the outcome in your operation or your, within your group, your mining house, so to say. And that necessarily involves um, a commitment to training and, and development of graduates, professionals in the, in the field. So we at Beta Gold have no qualms about sending people off on, on very intense courses um, throughout the world and making sure that our technical people, the engineers, metallurgists, geologists are really at the top of their game. I suppose that's a conclusion of that. Really appreciate your time, Mark, for obviously taking the time to discuss your uh, journey and, and give us an uh, insight to Nibia and in West Africa in general. If our audience wants to contact you, how can they go about doing that? Well, I think um, the best thing would be to to drop me an email. Um, I get a flood of emails, um, so I can't guarantee that I'll respond immediately. Yeah. So I think uh, my email address um, I can make available to you later, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't want to see millions of emails into my work address, so I'll have to decide which one to use. Yeah. But I'd be very happy to use to, to chat to anybody that's you know interested in developing their career in mining. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you very much for the opportunity. And are you on any social media platforms at all? I try to stay away for that reason. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, alternatively, if you want to contact myself, you can do, and I can pass any questions on to Mark. My email address is rob at mining-international.org. I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts, and I really appreciate your feedback. Keep posting reviews on various platforms where, where you download and consume this particular podcast. And any post that I put on LinkedIn or Facebook where I promote these episodes, um, because the more previews and reviews that we get, the greater reach that this podcast can uh, reach many people across the world. So keep pushing those uh, like buttons and uh, please comment in on anything that I produce for the Dig Deep the Mining podcast. Also, if you have a story or have some content you would like to share among the mining community and would like to be a guest, then please again contact me via email so we can discuss how we can best present that content. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. 
If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!